So Tim's not here, so young adults are joining us, right, Pierce? Or getting Kleenex, okay. So we want to finish, yes. Want to finish, we've been looking at reconciliation, and uh, I'll, uh, only one, thank you, Janice, for handing those out. I wanted to kind of tie up what we have been looking at on reconciliation, and I want to make sure that we are not just thinking of reconciliation horizontally, but also vertically. When we find ourselves in need of restored fellowship with the Lord, we find ourselves having sinned, we've gone through the process that we've already looked at of uh, a recognition of our guilt that's been activated by our conscience, the need for confession and repentance and forgiveness. Let's look at that final aspect, and then I want to uh, just kind of scratch some stuff up on the dry erase board here, thinking about the process of change. Yes, Janice? Oh, yeah, we'll set that over here in the middle, uh, uh, and, and I don't like how low it is. Maybe, uh, maybe we'll even set this up on the uh, platform. If we get to this part of the lesson, and I don't kill myself knocking it over. Is that a little easier to see back there? Thank you for that reminder. So, a lot of psychologists of our day, and even modern Stoics like Albert Ellis, would instruct us without Scripture, they would say, if a person's thinking is right, his actions will be right. To that, your answer would be what? Yes or no? It's not intended to be a trick question, but just think through it. If their thinking is right, their actions will be right. Now, when you, what's that, Tina? It is subjective. We're tying in if they're a believer and you use the word hopefully that they will respond appropriately. That is the, the issue. And, and doing right, think of it this way. Is there or is there not a lot of stuff that you and I know that we ought to do that we don't do? So our thinking is right. We know the right theology. We know doctrine. But that has not always driven us into practice. So that's why I wanted to spend just a few more moments thinking through this issue because many Christians know how perfectly well they ought to do and how they ought to do, but they end up disobeying God anyways. They're led astray not because their thinking is wrong, but by their sinful desires. And again, I would put on that James 1.14, where we are drawn away after our own lusts. And so, even when we restructure our thinking, uh, we must not fall to the idea that education answers all of our problems. 
It must lead to life change, being doers of the word, putting into practice, putting, not just putting off sin, but putting on righteousness. And we want to look at that dynamic today. We must be willing to confess our sins, resist evil desires, and obey even when we don't feel like it. The willingness to do this depends on our willingness to plead for the Spirit to help. Going back to the, we spent like a month looking at progressive sanctification. I don't know if it was last summer or last spring. Uh, of this dynamic of we work out our salvation, Philippians 2, but it's also God working in us. Will endure. So it's not pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. It's us working through the power of the Spirit, working together. It's a divine co-op. So all the, you know, just realizing all the data in the world correctly collated and categorized are not enough. You would admit, well, I know this, I know that, I know the other thing. Has it driven us to action? And then, we're, so we're going we're gonna to try to end the lesson up on the dry erase in, in looking at a test case of a sin issue in a moment. So we've come to part, step number four, oops, uh, way down here, I thought I had it all opened up. Replacing, replacement, replacing Sinful habits with righteous ones. We must involve both the putting off and putting on. Kids and I, our family just started reading through some of the Psalms today. Psalm 1 for February 1. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So that would be our list of put off. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. It's not enough to do as Bob Newhart says, just stop it. Just cut it off. Just don't do it. But don't do this and do this. So that we not have this empty chasm. So this dynamic is all through Scripture. Uh, Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you wanted to jot down next to that thought, 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22, which is a great passage in speaking of this. Hold fast. What's the verse say? Do you remember? Anybody memorize that? Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. There's the... It's in synonymous terms, hold fast and abstain. In Hebrews 10.25, in regards to the assembly, we are not to be forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner or the way of life of some is, but exhorting one another. There's that negative and the positive. I think the clearest New Testament teaching on this is found in two different chapters that are parallel truths together, Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. Let's turn over there for just a moment to rivet this. Let's do the, uh, just read the Ephesians passage together. As we're turning to Ephesians 4, the, the parallel truth is in Colossians 3, 5 to 17. So there's 
a dozen verses over there, but we want to springboard off from this thought here in Ephesians 4, verse 22, and then, and then figure out what this looks like in life. Ephesians 4, verse 22, the beloved apostle says, in reference to your former manner of life, lay aside the old self. Lay aside, or the put off. So lay it aside, put it away from you, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed, there's the positive part, renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which, is in, the like, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for you remember. You notice here in verse 25, He's using a test case, an example of what this put off and put on looks like. He says, so lay aside lying, speaking falsehood. Don't do it, but speak the truth. He begins here starting to show us when is a liar no longer a liar? Not when he stops lying, but when he starts being a truth teller and developing that kind of habit in life, that kind of way of life. Verse 26, be angry, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer. So here's another example of what this looks like in the believer's life. Stop stealing. But rather, he also must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who is in need. I'm finishing a little uh, write-up on biblical benevolence right now, and we don't necessarily do… it's not just… it's not showing love just to give somebody what you might call a handout or help. They want to feel like, well… I just don't have work right now. I, uh, what can I do? You know, and so it's not necessarily wrong to say, hey, we need some stuff done. Go rake some leaves and we want to we help you out. That's not necessarily wrong. That's not unethical. Because the formula Paul gives here is uh, don't steal. Work hard. Labor. And it continues on. Verse 29. Is that where we ended? We read through verse 28. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. So, so anything that's wrong doesn't come out of our mouth, and what is good, what builds up, what edifies is what comes out cross, a word which is good for edification. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, verse 30, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So in this, in this extended passage, we've got a, a list of both some works of the flesh and some, some of the, uh, the deeds of the Spirit. We're talking about being serious-minded in our sanctification, Dehabituation, rehabituation, putting off old sinful patterns and replacing them with godly ones for the change to be pleasing to God and last over time. 
So we ended the lesson there last week, replacement. Let's look at this final caveat, mind renewal. Mind renewal. First of all, the priority. If you were to peruse through the Old Testament on the significance of the mind and thinking, in Psalm 15:2, which is the first reference there, it speaks of speaking truth in your heart so that you don't think that you just speak it audibly or verbally with your lips. He says speaking, people who speak truth in the heart. In Proverbs 23, 7, the next reference, it's one that uh, if you have not memorized, you ought to. As a man thinks in his heart, what is it? So is he. As a man thinks in his heart. Ecclesiastes 3, the, the preacher there is uh, quoted as, I said in my heart. In Obadiah 1, 3, the pride of your heart has deceived you, you who say in your heart. Zephaniah 1.12, who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good or, or evil. What is the Old Testament evidence? We talk to ourselves. We speak in our heart. Whether it comes across our lips or not, we are thinking. The mind speaks of uh, of the, the heart and the process, th thought process, the, the level of, of desires. And the New Testament carries on this theme. Look at a few with me. In Matthew 9, the first reference given there, Matthew 9, verses 3 and 4, Matthew 9, 3 and 4, some of the scribes said to themselves, this fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why are you thinking evil in your heart? Now, if, if we tried to uh, exercise some sanctified speculation and question motives, most of the time we're going to be what? We're going to be wrong. We can't see the human heart. We can only observe the outward appearance. We can speculate that if somebody... Uh, has their arms crossed and their face looks kind of sour, you can come to the conclusion this person's a bit upset. Uh, or if you look like me, uh, just don't smile much. It hurts. <laughs> no, no. But, uh, but Jesus dissects the human heart. He exegetes the human heart. He can see and peer into the scribes and the Pharisees and see what they're thinking in vivid technicolor. Over in Mark's gospel, Mark 7, Mark 7, verses 20 through 23, that which proceeds out of the man, that, which defile, that is what defiles the man from, 
For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. So if we don't ever get to the level of the heart in talking about change, we've missed the whole point. And though we can't exegete somebody else's heart necessarily, you're given a pretty good indication based on what does come forth. If, if there's nothing but murmuring, groaning, and complaining, that, that's a pretty good indication of what they're thinking on in their heart. They're not thinking of the blessings of God, but woe is me, life stinks kind of thing. So Jesus does teach, does teach us here that out of what, of what our heart is treasuring, what our heart is desiring, our lips are going to show to a certain degree. He doesn't give us the ins and outs of, of how much it's going to expose, but it exposed to a degree. Paul writes to the Romans about change at the heart level, at the thinking, the mind renewal level. He says there in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we are not to be conformed to the world. The world's actions, the world's way of thinking, the world's desires, the world's gods. Don't be conformed to the world, but what's the corollary there? Be transformed, and how he says we are transformed is mind renewal, renewing of the mind. It is not to say that just because somebody thinks right, they will do right. We must bridge the gap and put into practice by the power of the Spirit, relying on Him to help us obey and conform. But we must have that interest to change at the thought level process, because if we don't change the thinking, the actions aren't going to come along, no matter how much we try. We, we read from, I read for us in, uh, in Ephesians 4, but verse 23 had said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. If you're working on changing your thinking, suppose you're thinking wrong thoughts and you fill in the example in your own life of what thought is wrong. So part of the change, you go to Philippians 4.8, uh, Paul gives us a think list. What's on his think list? When we've got bad thoughts and we need to place them, whatsoever is good and just and good report, he goes through this list. And uh, I was talking with somebody recently about... Uh, um, some, some de depression, and I challenged them. I said, you need to put together your thought list. You need to put down right now, while you're thinking straight and thinking godly and thinking righteously according to Scripture, and you're not in the depressive mode, you need to jot down 50 things, 50 items of God's blessing in your life so that when you're going through that difficulty, and I said, you know what? I need to do the same thing so that when I'm going through my depressive modes, I can replace the woe is me's with how blessed is me when it's hard to do. 
Philippians 4, 8, the, 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 the thought list. In 1 Peter 1, verse 13, the last reference there on the New Testament presentation of mind renewal. In 1 Peter 1, 13, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is one of the, uh, we've mentioned before, one of the significant reasons on why we need to teach regularly on eschatology and the end times, according to Peter, is to help remind us to fix our minds on the hope of what it will be. When every wrong is righted, when Jesus comes back, when He transforms this lowly body into the glorious body made after His, fix your hope completely. So in all these New Testament references before you, one, one of them that we didn't turn to was 2 Corinthians 11.3 about uh, don't be deceived in regards to the simplicity that's in Christ. Cling to Christ. Put on the new man. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. Think list of Philippians 4. Set your mind on things above. Put on the new man. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Rest your hope fully on the grace brought at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, as you think about mind renewal, you might say, well, that's a biblical concept in both the Old and the New Testaments. What about it? It's got a prerequisite. Changing thoughts, which we'd already mentioned probably, what, 10 minutes ago, Janice, when we were uh, starting the the questioning, there must be salvation. Prior to regeneration, what is somebody's thought? What is their hindrance? What is their absolute incapability of changing their thoughts? Before Christ invades their life, their thoughts are corrupt, blinded, futile, and darkened. In uh, a great little book on anxiety that MacArthur wrote, Anxiety Attacked, to quote him, it says on your slide there, since the mind of the lost is corrupt, it doesn't choose what is good since it is spiritually blind, it doesn't know what is good, since its thoughts are futile, it doesn't perform what is good, and since it is ignorant, it doesn't even know what evil it is doing, unquote. I had to quote that because it's like, wow, that, that really helps us see the hopelessness without Christ, especially in regards to, you know, you go into the therapist's office and they said, yeah, well, just, just stop doing it. Uh, you don't have any power to do this. But in regeneration, all of a sudden, it's like the, flip, the, the switch is flipped and all of a sudden, God's commands are His enablement. We've got the capacity to be interjected with and controlled by divine thoughts 
1 Corinthians 2. Set your eyes on this for just a, a second. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 11 and 12. If we're told that the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God, he doesn't like God's truth, he hates God's truth, he suppresses God's truth, he doesn't obey God's truth, what about those that have been enlightened by the Spirit? He says, now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Look at the last half of the last verse of this chapter. His conclusion, we have the mind of Christ. And the more we search Scripture, we are enabled to think godly thoughts, to think what God thinks, to elicit God's intervention. Now, as I said, not all that we think is, is right. Philippians 4.8 deals with that. Not all we think is right. Though it might be true, it's not necessarily right. So we are told, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Ephesians 5.17 and 18, understand the will of God. And verse 18 of uh, Ephesians 5 is what? Be filled with the Spirit. And so in Ephesians and Colossians, as you set those parallel truths down, that to be spirit-filled is to be filled with the Word of Christ and vice versa. So what is it that we are to do? First of all, pursue it. The pursuit of renewal. I finally got a hold of a new batch of some little booklets that I found. Now, Nav Press put out these years ago, Changing Your Thought Patterns by George Sanchez. They're in the, uh, in the uh, book nook. And he helps kind of illustrate and uh, put a lot more words to this thought of changing our thought patterns. He used this illustration halfway through the booklet that I thought was helpful. As you're begging the question, how do I renew my mind? He said, let's use a hilltop as an illustration. When rain falls on a hill, the water drains off. How does it drain off? In rivulets. Initially, they are just small. Have you watched this? Or nobody else gets bored like me and does this sort of thing. Little rivulets. Initially, they are just small rivulets, but every time the, the rain falls, the rivulet cuts a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper. I used to have to, I guess the reason why I'm fascinated by this, my grandparents lived one house down from us, down the hill, and we used to have to patch their driveway because what would start as just this little trickle would turn into this torrential fountain that would always wash out the mouth of the driveway. And that's what uh, Sanchez is, is picturing here. It starts off initially just rivulets, but uh, it turn, you know, and then you get the chasm cut deeper and deeper. 
Let's compare these rivulets with thought patterns in our minds. The longer we think along any given line, the stronger that thought pattern becomes. Every time we react in a certain way, we reinforce, reinforce that thought pattern. This is how habits are formed. I forget whether it was 14 or 21, they say that uh, you, you do something the same way for whether it was 14 or 21 days, it becomes a habit. You know, when something changes, when I, when I went to change diet and have this new routine where I've got to uh, do this, uh, get this blended thing together for lunch every day, yeah, I had to carve out time and, and uh, it took several days to make that part of life. When you're working with your children about uh, proper habits around the home and they're writing down, you know, take shower, eat breakfast, brush teeth, all this stuff. It sounds monotonous and mundane, but that is discipline. And mind renewal works that way as well. We must develop a habit. If we have spent days, months, and dare I say, years of sinful patterns of behavior. It's going to take us a little while to develop the godly ones. And so in this process of, you know, whether, whether the, the thought issue is on uh, pursuing a lust or pursuing anxiety and doubt, whatever the case may be, whatever the sin issue that we are attacking and seeking change, there must be that pursuit. We must get engaged. So turn with me to the polemics of renewal. One verse from Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians. Second Corinthians, and we're going to pick up on this thought for our concluding application up on the dry erase in just a second. Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 5. This is Paul's strategy for waging war on remaining sin in our lives. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. I was going to 5, 10. I guess that would be wrong. All right. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. He says, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I want you to notice the war terminology. Because when we talk about our life in Christ, it's not a rose garden. It's not easy. As I say to the discipleship councils on Tuesday night, when, you're, when you start discipling somebody and you lay out before them God's way and their way, they choose God's way. Is that the easy way or the hard way? Initially, it's hard. You go God's way initially, it's the hardest route. It's easy to pander to the flesh. It's easy to stay in that cycle of pleasing self. But we, every time, moments throughout the day, are faced at a crossroads, a, a fork in the road. Am I going to serve self, or have I made it my aim to be well-pleasing to Him? And so... Paul engages these polemics for, for battle. He says, we destroy speculations, everything that raises itself up against the knowledge of God, and we're taking every thought captive. Take captive, present active 
participle speaks literally of the ongoing conquest. As a Christian, there is great joy, but if we look soberly and realistically about our life in the flesh, there is a, there's a burden aspect to it. It's not all fun and games. It's hard work. You know, you choose to follow God. And so that's why Paul engages this terminology. When he says, take the thought captive, it's as if you had a spear in hand. When we went to watch uh, Gods and Generals the other night, we took out the, uh, the bayonet, uh, a bayonet just so that we could watch it with bayonet in hand. And, you know, that really gives the picture. You know, we wanted to engage in the movie. Are you engaged in the warfare every day? To take out that spear, to take out the sword of the Spirit, not the butter knife of your own human flawed logic or behavior modification programs that are out there, but you take that spear, it's implying battle, war, encampment, fight, and conflict. Paul works out his strategy for attack as he faces forces of unbelief. He observes the line of battle and he takes note of strongholds and ramparts. And if any text spells out battle triumphs in spiritual war, it's this verse. He indicates in the present tense that we are taking prisoners in the present progress. And the battle is being won. Do you need to be reminded of that today, beloved? I do. You know, because victory is inclusive. Every thought. When you finally start to get victory over one sin issue in life, as you're pursuing mind renewal and and engaging yourself, and it gets easier. Initially, you choose God's way, it's harder, but it gets easier. It doesn't ever, I'm not going to say, lie to you and say it ever gets easy. But don't think that because it's easier, it's gone away. If any man stand, take heed lest he fall. There's always going to be other things to attack, other thoughts. So there's the pursuit, there's the polemics, And then the suggested pattern of renewal. You'll notice there the reference is Philippians 4. Join me there and then I will close. Philippians 4. This is going to be just a five-minute exercise to get you to stop relying on some holy zap. It's not there waiting for God to do what He's commanded you and I to do. To get this war with sin out of the realm of abstraction and into a concrete plan, we find ourselves in Philippians 4. This is a strategy I would encourage you to employ. Work it out. You start praying over it this afternoon and employ it this week. Philippians 4 Verses 6 through 9. Be anxious for, what's your Bible say? Something. Something. Yeah. Be anxious for nothing, 
But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So, as we look at our lives and we consider 2015, what kind of change needs to take place? We are considering, first of all, uh, what is the issue? What is the issue? What, what in my life needs to change by the power of the Spirit for the glory of God? And as you think about an issue, think about the issue the last time you sinned. I know it's been so many minutes since you last sinned. But in the moment, what was the thought? I was anxious, I was afraid, I was hurt, I was upset, I was angry, I was depressed, I was discouraged. You think through the thought And you're thinking, why did I do it? Because of what? Why is it that I was depressed? Why is it that I was angered in that moment? You're, you're starting to ask questions about idolatry. There's a, I think there's an art, article still out on the uh, table there on, on how to get to really the hard issues. What am I dwelling on? What am I desiring? What am, what are, what am I prioritizing because if you don't know what it is, you can't attack it. So we've got to get it out of the realm of, of uh, abstraction and into concrete. We're thinking about the issue, we're thinking about the thought, and why that particular thought was wrong. And so let me give you an acronym of the Lord, something easy to re remember. Here's what you're going to do through the power of the Spirit as you pray through it. I will lift up praise and thanksgiving to God. Lord, you are, or I am thankful for, and you're putting together your list to disengage from the sinful thoughts to the righteous ones. And so you're, you're lifting up praise and thanks. Second of all, you offer. We're going to offer humble request, conditioned by the will of God. Lord, this is what I am petitioning, what I'm asking, what I'm pleading with you for. And then we start this whole renew thing. Renew with the truth. If, 
If what I was thinking was wrong, how should I think? What does the mind of Christ expose in Scripture? Whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. So that we can take the thought captive, as we said, with the spear, with the sword of the Spirit. And then, you know the D, right? Do. That's how Paul ends the passage. These things, practice, do it, put it into place. So that we're thinking through, in the moment, what were my thoughts that need to be put off? What does God's truth say that my thought list should consist of? And we're offering up, we're renewing, and we're putting it into practice at that level and moment. That was my five minutes that I told you I would be done. Questions before we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it enables us to live a life that brings you glory and us good. We ask you, O oh God, to change us, to make us more like Christ. Help us in the pursuit of holiness. We've been given tremendous resources of a sufficient Christ and a sufficient word and the power of your spirit. Engage us in the battle with great victory for the praise of our Savior in whose name we ask it.